0: Thanks for listening to another leadership podcast from Pastor Jurgen and the team here at C3 San Diego. To find out more about our church, go to c3sandiego.com. How awesome is that? How awesome is it that uh, people that were walking in staff are no longer walking in staff and that people are now set free and delivered? And, you know, it's, it's uh, so important that, we're, that we are a church that believes in the power of God. And, you know, you you can't believe in uh, the Scriptures without recognizing that there really is a presence of evil. Psalm 1 says, you know, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, sits in the seat of the scornful. So then we're going to have ungodly people, we're going to have sinners, we're going to have scornful people. And then it goes on and it says... um, but, you know, uh, because he's in the house of God, you know, he's going to flourish and everything he does shall prosper. But the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff, which is blown away. So that there there are hearts, sadly, on this planet who will not turn. No matter what God does, they will not turn. They will not yield to God. They will not surrender to God. And the Bible calls that the wicked. And it's one thing to have wicked people on the planet. It's another thing to have those wicked people in uh, occupying seats of authority and power and the Bible teaches us that, that the time will come where where the prince of wickedness will be basically in, his, in the position uh, since Cain, since Nimrod it'll be the fulfillment and he will sit in position in authority over the whole world and, uh, and the war and the attack that he will make on uh, two groups of people Jews and Christians will be unrelenting. And had the Lord not cut those days short, the Bible says no one would survive. But the Lord is going to cut it short. He's going to come back and destroy that guy with the breath of his nostril. So we have an awesome God. Amen. But I just, I, I just love that. So, so just to understand, because, um, you know, there's, the, there's a lot of people that they believe in heaven, but they don't believe in hell. They believe in God, but they don't believe in the devil. There is a devil and he needs to be cast out. He needs to be evicted. And and we are here to exercise authority. Jesus says, I will build my church and you will see incredible social progress. Sorry, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So even Jesus is saying that you, you need to understand for me to take ground, I've got to literally decrease ground from the devil. So I will build my church on the gates of hell, which means that the devil has put up gates. He is trying to secure his territory for us to take that territory. We're going to experience some warfare. But how many people know that Jesus has already won the victory? So we we ain't here. We don't shrink back or push back or retreat and collapse at the first sign of adversity or the first sign of challenge. We understand that that. God has given us weapons. God has given us armor. He has given us authority. He has sent out his word so we can take territory. So we move forward. We push forward. We kick down gates. We get into schools. We get into colleges. We, we, we see people saved. See our altars flooded. We buy buildings. Each building is filled. Those services overflow. And we start new services. And every service is people coming into an encounter with God. We're, we're not going to water down the gospel and then wonder why there are no miracles. If, if I dilute this, this no longer works. Why would I dilute this, this here? Let, let's deliver it into the highest form in its highest concentrate so it does its, does its thing. You don't dilute the Word of God and then wonder where the miracles are. You preach the Word of God and that releases miracles. Anyway, come with me to the, in your Bibles to the book of James. In the book of James, I, I've, I've had this, this kind of word circling. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, which is probably not a lot of people's favorite scriptures. James 1, 2 to 4 says, my brethren, count it pure joy. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing, I say testing, that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then it goes on, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And, and so I just, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, we, we as human beings are creatures of comfort. We move away from pain and we move towards pleasure. We move away from pain, and we move towards pleasure. And, uh, and that, is, that is a longing of the flesh. But for God to develop spiritual authority, spiritual strength on the inside of you, quite often God will put you and I in environments and you and I will walk through seasons where everything in the flesh is screaming, I want to quit. I want to throw in the towel, I want to leave, I want to get out, but can I just say, stay on the altar, stay on the altar, stay on the altar, stay on the altar. You know, Paul writes and says, brethren, I beseech you by the the mercies of God that you offer yourself as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. Now, we, we see that on that, in that lovely scripture. But what a living sacrifice is. They, they know a sacrifice. They have a, a you know, a, basically a slab, a bonfire, and then they throw a dead animal up there. And he's saying, I want you to see that, but I want you to be living. Isn't it hot? Quite hot. Well, I want to get off. Stay on there as long as you can living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. God is always in the process of purifying. God, God, God only takes us through trials. Here it says to develop. He only takes us through trials to produce. He only takes us through trials to, to promote. If he, can, if he can test you in the fire... He can exalt you over a nation. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tested in the fire, when they came out, King Nebuchadnezzar made a decree that anybody speaks anything amiss against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, well, their house is going to be torn down. I mean, he's just into killing. He's like, well, I'm not going to kill them. I'm going to kill anyone who speaks against their God. I've got to kill somebody. And, uh, but the Bible says he, he elevated Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the entire region. They, they were tested in the fire, and then they came out and they were promoted. God is always wanting to promote you and I, but he knows, he knows that if he promotes you with areas in the flesh that are undeveloped or areas in the flesh that uh, uh, haven't succumbed to to his processes is going to blow up. I remember uh, when I was in uh, high school, I took art and uh, got got to change it as soon as all the theory kicked in. I just thought I was going to paint and make pottery stuff. But I remember my first pottery thing, I was one of the last people to get my clay, but I was one of the first to finish and cut a few corners. And so I remember my, my art teacher said, hey, did you get out all the air bubbles? You've got to get out all the air bubbles and any rocks and any impurities. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, no, we're putting in a kiln. And the kiln's like two or 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm like, ah, oh, it's fine. Well, n- you know, not even five minutes in the kiln, you hear this. <laughs> and uh, it was my little teapot that is no longer a teapot. It was just fragments everywhere. Because there were air bubbles underneath the surface. And if you don't deal with it under that extreme heat it explodes and so the bible says that God is testing us purifying us just like you purify gold and you can only purify gold by putting it you know over some fire so let let me give you a few areas where I believe that God is developing on what his agenda is the first one is that God is your source that God is your source one of the first lessons that I learned after I got saved going through testing going through trials was that God is my source if you got your Bibles mark chapter 8 verse 9 to 2019 20, uh, to 21 mark 8 19 to 21 mark 8 19 to 21 says this uh, it says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of fragments did you take up? And the disciples said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many basketful of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you don't understand? And if you read in the gospel of Luke, it says, and no one dared. Ask him any more questions. (laughs) So Jesus is saying to the disciples, guys, guys, you know, they're all complaining and piping. And he's like, listen, he says, when when we had, you know, the the 12, five loaves, two fish for the 5,000 people, how many basketfuls did we collect of leftovers? They're like 12. He says, all right. And when we had the 4,000 people, we had seven. Loaves And and several fish. How many basketfuls do we collect? And they said, seven. He goes, see? How is it you don't understand? And they're like, yeah, (laughs) we get it. And none of them got it. (laughs) Nobody got it. But Jesus was trying to teach and trying to explain. So they had 5,000 people only five loaves and two fish, and they get 12 basketfuls of leftovers. The second time Jesus fed the multitudes, there were 4,000 people. Less people or more people? Less people. But this time, Jesus has seven loaves and several fish. Less resources or more resources? So watch this. Over here, he has more people and less resources. Over here, he has less people and more resources. And he says, Over here, where we had less and there was a bigger need, how many basketfuls of leftovers did we collect? They said 12. He says, And over here, where we had a lot more money in the bank, we had a lot more resources, it already had a CUP from the city. Somebody wrote a million dollar check. And, and, you know, we had less, less people. How many basketfuls of leftovers do we collect? They said seven. How is it you don't understand? And they still didn't understand what Jesus was trying to teach them. The less you need God, the less you'll see God. The less we we want, we want to prosper so we don't have to trust God. I don't even realize that we do it. We, Man, if I can just get this breakthrough, then I'm I'm going to mill. Then I can stop trusting you, and I can now put my trust in my hand, in my ability to manage my million dollars in the bank, my prospect. That's why I like giving, and that's why I like stretching every year, because you need to understand that that something is lost. The moment where I'm not believing God, depending upon God, trusting God. I have to stay in that position. That's why every year Leanne and I try to increase our giving, our generosity, not just tithes, but offerings, vision builders because I want to stay in a place where I'm completely dependent upon God. Now there's this foolish thinking saying, well, you know, if you live homelessly then, you know, then you're somehow spiritual because you're dependent upon God. Can I tell you something? You can be a billionaire and still live. You determine whether you, I know people who are on the street but they ain't dependent upon God. They're dependent on handouts, they're dependent on the government, you know, they're begging. Don't tell me they're dependent upon Upon God. You can be dependent on God and be a millionaire, a multimillionaire and a billionaire. You make the decision whether you're going to seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added unto you. You make a decision whether you're going to be stepping out in faith, where you're going to give beyond your Ishmael, give into Isaac, give what is most precious and sacred to you. And Jesus is trying to teach that the disciples something because these are the guys who are about to take over from Him. And He's trying to teach them, guys, guys, you're going to face audacious tasks. What I'm going to call you to is impossible. I'm going to send you into cities that you've never been to, you've never seen. You've got no profile. When you go into that city, I'm going to give you a vision for that city. And the question mark over your head is going to be, how are we going to win the city? But you need to just reconfigure those letters. It's not how, it's who. The Lord, your God, if your God is with you, and don't... Don't worry about how little you've got, because remember, I got you to carry the twelve baskets. Each one of you had, and those twelve baskets were preaching to you the whole way, saying, "Man, what we just experienced was impossible. We had five thousand men plus women and children, only five loaves and two fish, and now we got twelve. You can't put five loaves and two fish into twelve baskets. Everybody ate. Everybody was satisfied, and we're collecting. Tw- That's something about when you need, when you get God involved, you're going to see exceedingly abundant." above all that you can ask or think my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus he doesn't need earthly methods he doesn't need earthly elements he doesn't need earthly favor years ago I had had a, a gentleman when we first started the church on our board and he would he would try and manipulate me he would well, I'm you know trying to reach people and talk to new people. He's getting with all the, the wealthy people in our church and he, he was trying to control the church and he, he'd come up to me and say, oh, you know, such and such is not happy. They're not happy. And I'm like, oh, I'm not here to make them happy. He goes, well, oh, but we need them. They're a millionaire. We, we need their money. I'm like, we, we don't need their money. Yes, we do. We need their money. How are we going to get a building? I said, listen, same God who sent us here is the same God who's going to provide. He hated the fact that I, that I wouldn't be um, bow my knee to him trying to manipulate and he would tell these little lies to these people to try and get them offside with because he thought man if I can control the money I can control the pastor surely the pastor will bow his knee in fear to money surely the pastor will show partiality to to the wealthy to the rich and and put remove his faith from God to faith in what a, a millionaire he, he can write this big check why don't you just schmooze I don't need to schmooze anybody I don't need to God is my source. God is my source. God is your source. He's no respecter of persons. I'm telling you, if God will do it for me, he will do it for you. Just look to God. Second thing, God wants to be your refuge. God is your refuge. If there's anything that I've learned in 33 years, God is my refuge. He's my escape. He's my escape. We're on vacation, you know, in Hawaii. The most delightful thing was reconnecting with God. Reconnecting with my bride and reconnecting with my kids. Everything God does is relational. It's all relation driven. There's a saying and it's a true saying that life moves at the speed of relationships. Life moves at the speed of relationships. Everything God, God does, he does for relationship. The reason Jesus came was to restore relationship. It wasn't to, to begin religion. It was to restore relationships. And I found over the years that, that God is my refuge, that he, he is not, he's not a set of rules. He's not a set of to-do lists. He, he, he's not a God who is, is kind of like Siri, who is just there, Lord, I need this, and Lord, I need that. And hey, Siri, you know, hey, Siri, oh, you're not working. Well, That's why I don't even talk to you anymore. <laughs> God, God, is, God is not Siri. He's not there. God is God. Psalm 42, one of my favorite psalms, King David writes it and he says, As the deer panteth for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Many Bible scholars argue about the context of David writing Psalm 42. But one of the most prominent ones is that David wrote this while he was in the cave of Adullam, while Saul uh, was sending... The Bible says sometimes up to three thousand assassins, hired assassins, commissioned assassins to hunt down David and take him out. David had a prophetic word from God that he would be the king, and Saul saw God and God's word and God's anointing on David, God's giant slaying, anointing, and reputation as a threat to his dynasty and so he sends out his his assassins many time, many time had David gone left he would have been taken out but many times it was just like just in the fracture of the moment so he's constantly living with anxiety many times he writes in the Psalms how his sleep has gone from him his his tears have been his food night and day one, at one time David is watching and he's out there with the wild beasts and uh, quite often whether it's a lion or whether it's a wolf will go after the, the the young the young bucks and the young does and what will happen is the stag deer will send the entire family, the entire flock across the river and he will remain on this side of the river and they, can, they know that the lion or whatever is near and then the stag will begin to stomp on this side of the river with such fervency, with such intensity that, that he secretes not just testosterone but he secretes adrenaline so that his scent becomes so high so the, the, the predator, whether it's a wolf or a lion, leaves the rest and all it can smell is him. And then the stag will then run through the rocks, having the lion chase him and will plunge into the river. And then he will go out into the river because lions can swim, but he will go out and he will stand and all that will be above the water level will just be his nostrils as the stream runs down. And, And quite often the lion will pace and the scent is now gone. And the lion will jump in but not be able to see the and david is sitting in the cave of dolen with 3000 assassins and he says as the deer pants for the water brook for the way of escape so pants my soul for you that when i plunge into you you wipe out the scent of that my enemies pick up and in you i am saved in you i find refuge one of the greatest things you'll ever discover in god is that he is your refuge he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your shield. He is the lifter of your head in the battle. There is nothing like God. Where do you retreat? Now, listen to me. I'm not throwing stones, and I'm not judging, but, but it, is, it is much easier to retreat to, to, to wine. Is it wine time yet? And that's not a bad thing. Leanne and I drink wine. But I've got to tell you, it will hurt you if you don't have the Lord. As your refuge. Some people retreat into drugs or into pleasure or illicit sex or whatever. I'm telling you, none of those things, none of those things will will wipe out your scent, will provide a way of escape. So you you need to understand that sometimes God will allow injustice. David did nothing wrong, but there are 3,000 assassins who have been paid, they're on Saul's payroll to wipe out David. And yet David has done nothing wrong, but he discovers that his God. He discovers that his God is his refuge, his shelter, his strong tower, his fortress, his shield. God is your refuge. David discovers this. The third one is that I found that God wants to purify my agenda. God wants to purify my agenda. We live in the Disney generation. The Disney generation is don't let anybody stand in the way of your dreams. You know, whatever your dreams are, and you know what, I'm Pastor, I'm here, I'm here, can you tell me how I can get my dream to come to pass? This is all about my and you know, it's, it's not a bad thing, it's not a bad thing. It's so important that you have dreams, but you need to understand, no matter how I approach God, I approach God from my jacked up, dysfunctional, carnal, fleshly, earthly past. And what the Spirit of God does, He will begin to go to work and He'll begin to purify your dreams so that the things that you dreamt and the things that you desire, you realize, my God, had I have gotten those things, oh my gosh, it would have been so temporal, it would have been so fleeting, it would, have been so, it would have put a ceiling on my life. Coming into the house of God, God will begin to purify your dreams. And one of the ways that, that He does that is very, very important that you know this. Uh, Daniel... In the kingdom of Babylon, there was a situation in Daniel chapter 3 where... Nebuchadnezzar is tormented by dreams that he has on his bed. So he gets all the magicians, all the Chaldeans, all the soothsayers, all the tarot card readers, the mediums, and then Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and he brings them in and he says, listen, uh, I've been having these dreams and I can't sleep anymore. My sleep's gone from me and it's tormenting me. What does it mean? And so the the Chaldeans and the mediums are like, well, tell us the dream. We'll give the interpretation. He's like, no, because you'll make something up. And if you, guys, if you guys really, you know, because you're on my payroll, if you guys really have spiritual insight, you tell me what I dreamt. And then I know that you'll be able to give the interpretation. And they're like, what? No, we can't do that. And so he gives them three days. Three days later, they're like, listen, no king has ever asked this of any people. This is impossible. And he's like, well, then I'm going to kill you all. And they're petitioning him and saying, no, no, you don't. Listen, that, that only belongs to the gods and the gods dwelling is not with men. So the Bible says a decree went out, let's just kill them all. I'm done with them. I'm, if I'm not sleeping, I'm paying these guys to, you know, be these spiritual insight medium, you know, psychic people, and they can't tell me, then what's the good of you? I'm killing you all. Well, when David hears about that, he calls the, the guy, the uh, assistant, and he says, listen, he says, um, stop killing. Give me three days. <laughs> three days. I'm going to go on fast. And on, after three days, I will, I will go into the king and I'll tell him his dream. So Daniel gets Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and gets them to pray. And so Daniel has the dream. And then he goes in to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, O king, while you were lying on your bed, the great God of heaven showed you your life and what is to come after your life. He says, true, O king, you are a king of kings. At that point, Nebuchadnezzar was the king over the whole world. And he says, these were the dreams. These were the visions of your head. You saw a statue you saw. And Daniel was exalted to number two in the kingdom, just like Joseph was exalted to number two in the kingdom because both Joseph and Daniel had this. They dreamed the dream of their leader. Nebuchadnezzar said, if you can't dream my dream, how can you interpret my dream?" There are a lot of people who would want to come and join, but they have their own dream. And so their interpretation of your dream, of the dream, one church, 16 locations, they can't interpret it because they have a different dream in their heart. For for Daniel to interpret, he had to have the same dream as his leader. He had to have the same dream as the he had to have the same dream as what was over that kingdom. He had to dream that dream had to become his dream. You need to understand that that Joseph's brothers hated Joseph because of his dreams, and yet his dreams saved their saved their lives. <laughs> It it was because of his dreams that all 11 brothers, all their wives, all their children, all their offspring, all their cattle, all their flock were able to survive the most horrific drought and famine in the Middle East because of the dreams that they despised you need to understand there is a dream over a house you will come with your dream but you need to understand that if you don't allow the holy spirit to purify and for you to start dreaming that you lose nothing you gain everything i remember i remember when leanne and i were serving pastor phil and the truth is we haven't stopped serving pastor phil I remember we, we would walk through from the, the, uh, the offices. We would, you'd have to go through the main auditorium to go over to where the youth offices were and where the, the Bible college is. And every time we would walk across the auditorium, I'd be walking with Pastor Phil. Pastor Phil would just begin to pray. Yeah, yeah, you know, filled from front to the back, left to the right, altars, service, every service, filled, filled to capacity, filled to overflowing, young people, new people coming in. And I, and I would hear that, I would walk. I would, I would walk and I'd hear him, praying that. So then I knew that my job, that's his dream. I'm on his payroll, so my job is to make his dream a reality. And so I knew that all I needed to do was just dream his dream. Because if I can't dream his dream, how can I interpret it? And so the interpreting of that dream is, man, I've got to get into schools. I've got to get into schools, man. We, all, the future of our church is right now in all the high schools. So I had to get into high schools. So we did whatever we could, anything we could, the morning crew, everything, breakfast. We did anything we could to get into schools. And then we'd run buses from those schools to youth group. And then we'd get them at youth group on a Friday night and say, hey, don't be a, a once only Christian. Be, be in church on Sunday. We, and then all of a sudden, Sunday morning was packed. Sunday night, the 6 p.m. service was jam-packed. And the dream of my pastor came to pass and i remember pastor phil you know one time prophesying again saying c3 church you know, that we would have a city influencing church in every major city around the world. So I knew when he was calling us to go to San Diego and he said, I want you to go to San Diego, I knew he wasn't going, sending us to San Diego. And well, you know, let's, you know, we, we're just going to be happy with a hundred. I knew that when he sent us to San Diego, that the dream that my pastor was dreaming was a city influencing church. And so what, what, are, you try, what are you trying to build here? city influencing church if you can't dream the dream of your leader how can you interpret it so you'll find that god is always trying to purify your heart number four number four god wants to unlock your thinking god wants to we don't even realize how limited our thinking is uh in your bibles in genesis 3 verse 11 adam and eve have just eaten from the tree uh They've, you know, sewed fig leaves together. Now they're hiding amongst the tree because they can hear the sound of the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. And God's like, Adam, Adam, where are you? You know, and then finally Adam realizes, oh shoot, you can't hide from God. Here I am. God's like, what are you doing with the leaves? Oh, fashion. That's not fashion. That's weird. Who wears leaves? Do you see any of the animals wearing leaves? What are you? Anyway, so they're wearing leaves. And he says to Adam, what are you doing? And Adam says, we saw that we were naked and we were afraid. So we hid. Genesis 3.11, and God said to them, who told you that you were naked? And who, who told them they were naked? Actually, nobody. Nobody told them they were naked. The devil didn't say, ha, <laughs> ha, Nudie Rudy, you got clout. you got clout on. Like the, the, the devil didn't hold up a mirror and say, I'm not sure if you realize this, but you guys are naked. No, no, Nobody told them. Listen to me. Nobody told them they were naked. They were now living in an altered state of reality. Because they had sinned, because they had moved away from God's word and God's commandments, they now had opened themselves to a distorted worldview to distorted revelation to distorted understanding, where they now believed that they were less than they now believed that they were naked they now God says who t- nobody told them this was this was a, a thought, a concept they arrived at together based on their disposition from being dis how many things do we just think, well, money doesn't grow on trees. You, you don't understand. Like uh, I'll always be poor. Man, everyone's against me. No, nobody's for I'm, I'm never going to get ahead. Man, I'm the wrong skin color. I'm the wrong age. I'm the wrong gender. I'm the wrong. How many of those? Who, who told you those things? I guarantee you nobody told you. I guarantee you. That those things are just because of, that's why it is so important, like I was saying at the start, that we got to preach this. We have to preach this thing. We got to preach the word of God because your only rescue is to come back to the word of God, to recognize God's promises. I guarantee you every single one of us, when I came into the kingdom, I had no idea the poverty mentality that I had, the victim mindset that I had. And it was a ceiling over my life. And God's like, I want to deliver you. I want to exalt you. I want to promote you. But your thinking will take you out You have such a small mind. You have a victim mind. You you are governed and geared towards fear rather than towards faith. And so I found that the prophet Yoda, you must unlearn what you have learned is I had to unlearn so much of the education, so much of the junk, so much of the fear, so much of the stuff that, that grew up in my family. That's why thank God that we have a church committed to deliverance. So you can at least begin to pull out some of those familiar spirits and some of that junk so your mind can be free to begin to think. But the Bible says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but rather be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, that perfect, and that acceptable will of God, you will find that as you renew your mind, as you begin to believe the Word of God, as you begin to change what you say about you in exchange for what God says about you, the greatest thing you can think is God's thoughts after Him. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as my as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So I found that I can ex- experience the heights and the euphoria of living with God, walking with God, seeing things from a god perspective simply by choosing to make a decision that I'm not going to think my thoughts after me. I'm going to begin to think God's thoughts. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, not about you, toward you. God is broadcasting 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to get you to exchange your thoughts for his thoughts. So you begin to believe that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am the head, not the tail above, only not beneath. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the country. I'm blessed going in, I'm blessed going out. You begin to think God's thoughts about you, that he thinks you're beautiful, that you're worth, redeeming that you're so precious you're so valuable he sends his only begotten son to die on a cross to redeem you but but the 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 great tragedy is that that we we come into the kingdom and then we want to bring into the kingdom our mindsets and we come with fear and we come with anxiety and we come with selfishness we come with greed and we come with ambition we come with all of this stuff and it's all from broken down God wants to go to work and he wants to heal and deal in those areas last one number five Number five, God wants you to understand the power of prayer. God wants you and I to understand the power of prayer. If I was honest, everything we have, we have because of prayer. You know, I couldn't be more proud of Dr. Matt. You know, had a prayer meeting that started in his house. And then too many neighbors complained. So I think I gave you the keys and came to Central Campus. And then that got full. And so now Central Campus on a Tuesday morning's full. You know, North Campus, you know, 140 men. North Campus, you know, C3 North Men, they got their own little Instagram thing. South Campus, you know, East are praying. And, and so we have we have men who are in prayer. Sometimes there's four, five hundred men, 5.30 a.m. right across the city, praying, crying out to God, seeing healing, seeing breakthroughs, seeing miracles, seeing, seeing the marriages changed, and you know, everything everything rock. Everything we get through, we get through prayer. If we think that we can get it through you know, petitioning the government, forget about it. Why petition the Government, when you can petition the Most High God, when you can get into to, to prayer, everything shifts in prayer. Have a look at this in John sixteen thirty two. John 16, 32, Jesus speaking says, Tonight, each one of you will be scattered. As it is written, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You will each desert me and go to your own home and you will leave me all alone. But I am never alone for the Father is always with me he says you're going to leave me all alone but i am never alone you know we we don't do well alone and the devil makes sure we got social media we got you know instagram we got twitter we got you know everything we got everything on our phone to to make sure that we don't have alone time but it's jesus would often withdraw withdrew often withdraw into the wilderness and in the lonely places and there he would pray lucky he didn't have a iPhone, oh, hang on, oh, Peter. <laughs> we, we, we don't like alone, we don't like, but it's one of the most important things. Jesus, you're gonna leave me all alone, but you know what? I'm never alone. The Father's always with me. How do you know? Because I feel his presence. Yeah. Jesus would often withdraw from everything just to, just to be with God, just to feel God's presence again. It was the same presence David felt. When everybody rode him off, when everyone said, Oh, what a waste. Who, who, man, where was the parental supervision here? 16 year old kid walking into a valley to face an undefeated giant who's heavily armored. Who, what, who, who let this happen? But David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because God is with me. I feel his presence all around me. And I know that when his presence is with me, I'm invincible. And Goliath starts piping off, and he's like, Oh my gosh, you've already lost because you're looking at a 16 year old kid. You don't even see who's with me. You don't even see who's backing me up. You don't even see what's on me. You don't even see what's surrounding me. This day I'm taking your head, buddy, from your shoulders, and I'll feed your carcass to the beasts of the field. Birds are there so the whole world may know that there is a God in Israel. I know there's a God in Israel because he's, he's here with me right now. But you don't, you don't find that till you go through a season where all hell breaks loose or all your friends turn on you or no one's inviting you out or everyone's kind of getting married and you're still and, and they will leave you all alone. He says, but I'm never alone. The father is always with me. There, there are going to be moments where a person's not going to be there. A friend's not going to be there. Another human's not going to be there, but it, can you, in those moments, learn the power of prayer, the power of drawing into God? When we were in our sixth year in in New Zealand, it was 1997. It was, it was a really, really difficult year. Everything had kind of ramped up and it was the peak. And literally, I didn't realize that it was, it was the labor pains of giving birth uh, for us to step into. The next year would be 1998. And so we just finished building our house and there was so much stress with that. And uh, it was winter, it was pouring down rain and I put on my, we call it an anorak, uh, you know, a, a parker, put on a parker, you say a parker over here? Rain jacket. rain jacket, a thick rain jacket. And, and there was, it was an hour walk from my house right around our neighborhood all the way back to my house and I had my dog Lulu with me and, and I'm just praying in tongues and I get back to my house after an hour and normally... You know, sometimes five minutes, sometimes 10 minutes, never more than maybe 25, 30 minutes, you know, the word of the Lord would come. And so I get back to my driveway, nothing. An hour. And I'm like, okay. I said, you know, all right, right, it's good. But if you think I'm going to quit just because it's freezing cold and pouring down rain. So I launch out again, second hour. Go right around, get back to my driveway. And God is still silent. I think he was testing me. And it's, it's freezing, it's pouring down rain. It's, you know, maybe in the thirties and I'm drenched wet. And I'm like, if you think I'm quitting God, I need to hear your voice and I need to hear breakthrough. So I launch out again. I get about halfway around and there's this little alleyway that comes up into a cul-de-sac. And now because I'm, I'm like just determined, I'm praying fervently, I've got the, the hoodie really tight. And so my, my head is actually really hot. And I come up into this cul-de-sac and there's a, there's a street lamp and there's two jacaranda trees on either side of the street lamp. And I stand under the street lamp and I look up. When you look up under a street lamp, you can see the, the raindrops coming down. And the raindrops were hitting my face. And because I was praying and walking so fervently, it felt so cool on my face. And then this jacaranda tree right here that I was kind of had its branches actually had some, some flowers on it. And it was weird because it was winter. It was like August, but there were flowers on it. And I'm not sure if you've ever walked through a forest or trees with flowers on it in the rain, but the rain carries the fragrance. And all of a sudden, not only was the, the water landing on my face and on my tongue, but the most beautiful fragrance from the flowers was hitting me. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes to me. And he said, Jürgen, this is your sixth year in New Zealand. Next year is year seven. What I didn't realize was seven is season or end of a season. Eight is new beginnings. He says, next year, it's going to be the end of your season here. He says, and you're going to have a year of incredible blessing and refreshing. It was that next year, 1998, where we end up getting... The, the opportunity to, to leave New Zealand and go back to Australia and serve Pastor Phil and be in sea Falls. And if I was to describe 1998, 1998 was a year of blessing and a year of refreshing. There's just something beautiful about prayer. There is nothing more powerful. There is nothing more magnificent. There is nothing that the devil attacks more than prayer because he knows that in every time that you separate yourself from the world just to be with him, his voice can come. His word can come. Nothing changed on the outside. In fact, if anything, a lot of the the circumstances continue to ramp up, but it didn't matter because I had a word in my spirit. God had spoken to me. Next year is year seven. Next year, this season comes to an end. Next year it's graduation. Next year it's promotion. Next year I'm going to send you into a season of blessing and refreshing. And when we look, we were with Pastor Phil then for seven years, from 1998 to 2005, and there were seven years of incredible blessing, of flourishing. God knows where you are. God knows what you're walking through. God knows everything around about you. Don't run from God. Run to Him. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 Church San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.